0: So this week, well, it's actually been the last couple months, month and a half, ever since vacation, I've been having trouble with this little thing right here. It just hasn't worked right. I don't know what happened, but it just wasn't working right. It was certain apps. So my phone would turn on or my, uh, sorry, my camera would turn on and it would turn off before I could take a picture. And then texting started to go weird. Like I couldn't send any pictures at all. And then I realized that while I was on Wi-Fi, I couldn't text at all. So I'd have to get off Wi-Fi wherever I was at to receive a text. And then I noticed I couldn't get online. Um, Wherever I was, unless I was on Wi-Fi, then I couldn't get online or use any data with it, and this was sporadic, going back and forth, and I did everything I could. Have you guys tried this before? You get online, and you type in the problem, and you Google it, and you say, I'm going to fix this myself, and so I went through all the steps. A, B, C, D, I deleted apps, I put apps back on. I turned this thing on and off at least 100 times, I think. Um, Because it said every time you turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, reset itself. I rebooted things, I I deleted things, I tried all kinds of stuff. Till I got so frustrated, I called my um, guy at Sprint. April and I are with Sprint. went in, Troy um, helps me there, and went in, and Troy said, all right, tell me what's going on. And I'm talking to him, and he's asking me a few questions, and the whole time he's kind of messing with my phone. I said, dude, I'm ready for a complete reboot. Just factory reset, just do it, I'm ready. Um, I've tried everything else. And he said, Yeah, no, before we do that, give me a minute. And he tried something else, and about three minutes later, he handed it back to me and said, here, try this. It's worked fine ever since. One, I'm grateful, and I said, oh, thank you, and then I called him a jerk um, for fixing it so fast, and I'm like, dude, how come I couldn't do that? Have you ever had this problem where you thought, and this was a deal, um, he did an update that I didn't know was even there to be able to do on my phone. I thought it was the apps all the time, and I was working to try and fix all the apps on the phone, but if I knew the core issues with phones. Like if I knew the core system with the phone, I would have been able to fix it because I would have gone to that special place that only he knew about. Now I do as well. I'm learning about my phone a little bit more, but he fixed it quickly because he knew the core issues of how the phone worked instead of just the apps that are surrounding it. Do you ever wish that for things in your life? Do you wish, you know, with any endeavor in life that someone, if they could just teach you the core issues of what's going on and what's happening, you could add to it. You could learn more about it. You could figure other things out, the direction maybe you want to go, maybe different than somebody else. I've got apps and maybe you don't. And so I can do different things. But man, if I had that core understanding of any issue in life, then I could adjust that to fit or work through or understand it better with my life. So I believe maybe you've got the same thing with this book, that you want that, and it's an amazing book. It's not just one book, it's 66 books. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, there's 27 books in the New Testament. This is an amazing book. It was written originally in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It was written across three different continents, um, Africa. Asia, Europe. It was written over a span of 1500 years. There's um, 40 different authors, 60 different generations. Many of the authors of this book don't even, didn't even know each other as they were writing it. And I believe that this is a book, whether you're a believer in God or not, probably doesn't matter. I believe that most people in our society would want to know this book a little bit better. If they had an opportunity, even if they're not a Christian, would say, Yeah, I would like to get to know this book. The reason is because it makes us better. Whether whether we're a believer in God or not, we understand that this book can make our life better. So why don't we? I think that would be a big question. Why don't we then get to know this book? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, we're too busy. Um, we're just busy and this is a big book I just described it and you're like I don't know Aramaic or Greek and I'm not probably gonna learn it so how do I understand it I know the one you have maybe is in English but to really get to know it and you're thinking yeah I'm really gonna understand I don't have time to dig into that big of a book there's a lot to it and I don't know where to start there's so much there how do I where do I go what do I do how do I jump in if someone could just teach me the core what is about this book, then maybe I could learn some more about it. If I had a basic understanding of this book, then I could add some things to it and around it. So what if there was a resource that was available to help you understand even some of the most important verses in Scripture? Well, this is what Crestview is all about. We want to help you grow. We want to help you. So we're going to try and give you as many resources as we can to help you with that. And here's a book I want to introduce you today. Um, this is a new book. It's only been out a few months. It's called Core 52. friend of ours by the name of Mark Moore. Um, he used to be a professor at a Bible college in um, the Ozarks in Joplin, Missouri. He is now a pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, and he has taken fifty-two what he calls core verses throughout Scripture and said, "If you can learn these fifty-two verses, man, I think you can keep adding to it then and understand what Scripture is teaching." And there's there's a lot to this book. He's got a chapter for each one of those verses that he writes about. They're small, just a couple pages each, and the idea is that over a year, so fifty-two weeks you can spend one week with each one of these verses, and at the end, you've got something there that you can continue to build on. So we've got some of these books um, out in the lobby. I'd love for you to grab one. We're asking a donation of 15 bucks just to help us out with it. That's how much they cost us. We're not making any money off of it, but if you got 10 bucks, if you have five bucks, I don't care. Um, take one, give me or Shelley, or put the money in the offering. we're not too strict about it. If you've got 20 bucks and you want to help somebody else buy a book or 30 bucks and buy somebody else a books, that's something that would be um, helpful in that. So I want to read a section out of this right at the beginning. This is his introduction. He says the positive impact of Scripture on individuals, families, and society has been proved time and again. One study involving 100,000 people over eight years showed dramatic results. The research showed that those who engage the Bible four or more times a week experience far less destructive behavior, 62% less drunkenness, 59% less pornography, 59% less sexual sin, 45% less gambling. These results were not from guilt manipulation, but rather the mark of personal transformation, The positive message of Scripture allowed individuals to reduce bitterness by 40%, destructive thoughts by 32%, isolation by 32%, inability to forgive by 31%, and loneliness by 30%. Bible engagement improves your self-esteem, family structure, and social interactions. It's the single most powerful predictor of spiritual growth. So if you want to know the Bible better, you'll be better for it. A tool to help you understand and grow. Grab one of these. Um, we're, we're also doing this. Um, right now, media. This is something that we offer to the church. It's kind of like Christian Netflix. Um, and there's a subscription for this, but the church covers it. So for you, it's free. All you have to do is let us know that you want in, and you can download it on your Roku. You can get to it from your computer, um, on your phone. There's an app for this. You can watch Bible studies and get helps and support. There's thousands of videos on there. Um, to help you with it. It's, it's an amazing tool that I want you to tap into. This will help you understand Scripture better. Um, your phone, if you don't have the Bible app, get your Bible app open today. Look at the live event. Follow us each week on that. There's some good stuff there. Rooted, we just saw a commercial for that. It's a way to help you get into not just an understanding of Scripture, but with other people that will help you grow along. So this is where we're going today, too. We're going to go to the core of what I think Scripture is about, and that's the Gospels. We're going to start a series today on the Gospels. So we're going to start studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four Gospels. (coughs) Excuse me, they're the first four books in the New Testament, And I'm going to give you some teaching this morning, more than I normally do on a Sunday morning. I'm going to give you information today, more than usual, but we're going to apply it here in a little bit. So information, the Gospels, if you don't know, it means good news. These are four guys that wrote books to tell the good news of Jesus. They tell one story from four different viewpoints, and they do it without contradiction. They do it with support um, within what they're telling each other. Four complementary accounts of Jesus working together to give us a deep, clear understanding of the most, I think, unique and important figure in human history. Now, the early church puts these four Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, not because they were written first, but because they're the core of the rest of the Bible, I think all of the Old Testament is pointing to the story that's behind these four Gospels. And all of the New Testament then is referring back to the historical and theological backdrop of the four Gospels. And we have to read them not as journalism, but as theology. So it's important for us to have this understanding. Now, the four Gospels, they're part of the history of the New Testament. So if we were to break the New Testament down into categories, the four Gospels and Acts would be the history section of the New Testament. And the four Gospels make up 46% of the New Testament. And we add Acts into that, and it makes it 60% of the New Testament is the history part of it. Now let me go one step further, a little geeky with you on Bible stuff. The first three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. Um, that synoptic is just a, a fancy word to mean the same. Uh, they're organized, they're structured, they're set up the same. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as you read through them, you're going to see that they kind of read the same. John reads a little bit different, and we're going to get to John later in the series, come back for that one, and we're going to see how he writes is different than the first three. I actually have a book in my library. It's, it's one of my favorites. If, if my library was burning down, this would be one of the... Top books I would run and grab, although I know I could buy a new one if I needed to. But um, it's called A Harmony of the Gospels, and it's actually written um, from beginning to end, all the Gospels put together. So we read all four of them at once together um, chronologically. And it's a unique way to look at how these Gospels are set apart. Now, we often wonder, you know, why are there four different ones? Because it gives us four different viewpoints of the same. Story different than this cartoon. Here's Jesus standing there teaching his disciples, and he says, Okay, everyone, now listen carefully. I don't want to end up with four different versions of this, (laughs) right? And oftentimes we might read the gospels thinking, That's what happened. How come? Why didn't just one person tell it? Because we're getting four different viewpoints of the same story, and it's a beautiful thing when we sit back and read it. So let's look at Matthew then. If we look at Matthew, the person, and try and understand where he's coming from and what he's teaching us. Um, he's also known as Levi. If you read the same story in Mark and Luke, you're going to see the, the name Levi come up. That's also Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was a Jew, but he was kind of a traitor to the Jews and became a tax collector for the Romans, which means the Jews really didn't like him that much. Probably wealthy. Most tax collectors were wealthy. That's how they gained their wealth, was ripping off those that they um, collected taxes from. He became a disciple of Jesus, an apostle for Jesus, probably a little older than the other apostles. And the reason we come to this conclusion, at least for me, how I come to the conclusion, is because he was a tax collector, And teenagers probably weren't tax collectors yet. They probably weren't old enough to have a career. And he had a reputation already. So he had been doing this a while. And so I would assume he's older than some of the other apostles that we see are young fishermen that they talk about leaving their families um, to go. So probably one of the older ones. Now, a, a theme of the book let's go here. If we talk about Matthew, the book, it's the story of Jesus. It's all the gospels that's what they each tells the story of Jesus now this one though was written primarily to a jewish audience because matthew was a jew he was writing to the jews and trying to get them to understand who jesus was and he is saying jesus is the king jesus is our king he's our messiah the jewish messiah In fact, the very first verse in Matthew, hopefully you have your Bibles, get your phones open. This is an important one. You can't just skip over and miss the important piece that's going on here. After 400 years of God not speaking to his people, from the last um, prophet in the Old Testament to Matthew, here we go. What's getting said? It's this, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We see it this way. Matthew says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. At some point for his Jewish audience, he might have been able to stop right there writing his book and say, this is it. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the person that we follow. Not a a theology or not a, a study or a book or a religion. We follow a person, Jesus. And he's this. He's the son of Abraham, which takes it all the way back to the beginning. He's he comes from the Jewish lineage, he's, he's from our family, he's from the important you know, line, God's people. He's from Abraham, plus he comes from David, a king. He's, he's a king. He's our Jewish king. Jesus presents, and Matthew unpacks it for us, the f- fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The Jewish king is here. There's more than 130 Old Testament quotes or references from the Old Testament from Matthew about Jesus. And there's a lot of similarities between Moses and Jesus, and it kind of goes down the list. Here's Moses, here's Jesus, and we can watch it happen. So I want to show you one more resource. This is something I'd love for you to get connected with. I'm going to show you just a couple minutes of this video, but you can get on and watch tons of videos from these guys. This is a great resource. It's called The Bible Project. And all you have to do is type in that, The Bible Project. We're going to make sure you guys get all of this probably tomorrow on Facebook. Um, Make sure you check in with us. We'll give you all these resources. Make sure you know that it's there. Watch this on Matthew, the Bible Project, part one, just a couple minutes. Matthew.
1: It's one of the earliest official accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his death, and his resurrection.
0: The book itself is
1: anonymous, but the earliest reliable tradition links it to Matthew the tax collector, who was one of the twelve apostles that Jesus appointed, and he actually appears within the book itself. For about thirty to forty years, the apostles orally taught and passed on their eyewitness accounts about Jesus, along with his teachings that they had all memorized. And Matthew has then collected and arranged all these into this amazing tapestry and designed the book to highlight certain themes about Jesus. In this video, we're just going to cover the first half of the book. Specifically, Matthew wants to show how Jesus is the continuation and fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and Israel. That Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David, that he is a new authoritative teacher like Moses, and not only that, Jesus is God with us, or in Hebrew, Emmanuel. And Matthew's designed this book with an introduction and then a conclusion, and these act like a frame around five clear sections right here in the center, each of which concludes with a long block of Jesus' teaching. Now this design is very intentional and it's amazing. Just watch how this works. Chapters 1 through 3, they set the stage by attaching Jesus' story right onto the storyline of the Old Testament scriptures. So, Matthew opens with a genealogy about Jesus that highlights how he is from the messianic line of the son of David, and he's a son of Abraham. That means he's going to bring God's blessing to all of the nations. After that, we get the famous story about Jesus' birth and how all of the events fulfilled the Old Testament prophetic promises that the nations would come and honor the Messiah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But even more than that, Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, his name Emmanuel, all these work together to show that Jesus is no mere human. He is God with us. God become human. So you can see two of Matthew's key themes right here in the introduction. He's from the line of David. He's Emmanuel. But Matthew also wants to show how Jesus is a new Moses. So like Moses, Jesus came up out of Egypt He passed through the waters of baptism, and he entered into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain to deliver his new teaching. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promised greater than Moses figure, who's going to deliver Israel from slavery. He's going to give them new divine teaching. He's going to save them from their sins and bring about a new covenant relationship between God and his people. This Moses and Jesus parallel also explains why Matthew has structured the center of the book the way that he did. These five main parts highlight Jesus as a teacher, and he's created a parallel. Jesus as a teacher parallels the five books of Moses. Jesus is the new authoritative covenant teacher who's going to fulfill the storyline of the Torah.
0: Now, if you're like me, I want to watch the rest of it. Why'd you stop it? You know, can we finish this out? Go, go watch it. Usually when I watch some of these um, from this group, um, the Bible Project, I've watched them a couple times, um, at least. I watch them over and over. I'm like, I got I to get this. They do a great job of unpacking it. Um, a theologian by the name of William Barclay, he, write, he writes this about Matthew. He says, when we turn to Matthew, we turn to the book, which may well be called the most important single document of the Christian faith. For in it we have the fullest and most systematic account of the life and teaching of Jesus. So, no, we're not going to get into all those categories that they unpacked in the five different categories. We're going to get to the one. What would Matthew teach us today? If he were here today, what would he say to us? What would be the theme, you know, behind it? He, he was a rebellious Jewish guy that, that started to work for the Romans and became a tax collector. So what would he say? You know the tax collectors; they were hated. Um, they were outcast, more even more than the Romans, because they traded their own people to go work for them, and they willingly did it. And usually, then stole from their fellow people in order to earn a living, and then they lived an extravagant lifestyle. Matthew, the tax collector, then came from one of the lowest sex, sections of society. And he had absolutely no inherent goodness in him. In fact, usually when Matthew was talked about before he became an apostle for Jesus was Matthew the sinner. More than even Matthew the tax collector is Matthew the tax collector, Matthew the sinner. So why would Jesus choose him? But he did. He came to Matthew. And he said, follow me. The way Matthew unpacks it, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at his tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he did. Now, I'm not going to go too far down this road, but I do want us to think about it like this. I, I don't think this was the first introduction of Matthew to Jesus. I believe that Matthew probably had heard him preached before, had heard him teach before, I had watched some of his miracles, had knew who this guy was, maybe followed him a little bit from a distance. So when he said, follow me, he wasn't getting up and following a stranger or blindly putting his faith out there. I believed that he knew who Jesus was, maybe wishing that he would ask him, and when he did, he jumped at the chance. Knowing that Jesus could do something amazing for him And when he said, follow me, Matthew jumped and followed him. Now, to understand Matthew a little bit, let's look at one of the other Gospels. If we look at the Gospel of Luke, when Luke tells the story, I love how this unpacks. Luke says it this way, chapter 5, verse 27. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi, that's Matthew, sitting at his tax booth at the table where he collects taxes. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him leaving everything, that's, that's commitment. I think that's a little extreme. He left everything behind. He left a table probably full of money. He left a career that he had built up, a daily engagement of sinful behavior. He left it behind. Um, he left everything. And, and Luke was written in Greek, so we have to go back and usually do some word studies and try and figure out. So in Greek, do you know what the, the word everything in Greek, how we translate that to English, what that means? It means everything. <laughs> it's the same. Everything. His loyalties, his priorities. He left all of that to be a follower of Jesus. I think Matthew, he left all that, that he was about I think Matthew challenges me in this. Because there's things that I like to keep on the table. Things that I like to say, No, I want to hang on to that a little bit longer. I don't want to let that go. I'm not sure that I'm quite there yet. I still want to hold on to certain things. I'm not sure I really want to dive in and learn this scripture because it might challenge me in my life. I'm good keeping it at a distance so I can keep my life the way I want it and I can keep just Christianity as a religion Um, and not really jump in Um, but man he challenges me so here's the question i think i have for you does that mean that i have to leave everything do i have to quit my job um and become a pastor in order to be a follower like matthew well no well well, yes no no yes i don't know this is tough right We are, we're called, okay, maybe you're not called to quit your job, but I think you're called to be a pastor. Maybe you're not called to quit what you're doing. Maybe God has you right where he wants you, but he's calling you to quit you and to follow him. You still have a family, you still have kids, you still have responsibilities, I get it. You still have things that you do in your life, you still have a job, and I don't know that he's calling all of you to quit that or to leave all of that. But he is calling you to follow him. I think Matthew would tell you that there's nothing that he left at the table that is more valuable than what he gained by choosing to follow Jesus. There's nothing that, that he earned by doing that. It's what Jesus had done for him that gets him to where he's at. And this is a man by all human accounts had no business moving from the tax table to the table of Jesus and being invited there, a man who was far from the kingdom of heaven. Why did Jesus allow this man to move from his tax table to the table that Jesus had set, and to the table that Jesus wants him to join and be a part of? Why would Jesus allow this man to be there? It's because Matthew said yes. That's why. Because Matthew said, I'll follow. When Jesus asked him, hey, follow me, and Matthew said, okay, I'll follow you. That's what got him there. That's all it takes. We don't have to do anything because Jesus has done it for us. And I think the lesson of Matthew for us, when we look at this big book for us, now, yes, it was written to Jewish audience. Yes, it was to say that he is the king of the Jews. For us, it's to say he's there for everyone. No matter what you've done in your past, no matter who you are, no matter, no matter, he's asking you to come and follow. And the only thing you have to do is say, okay, and get up and follow. And it's not just for us, it's for anyone. For our friends that maybe we don't think they're worthy enough, it's for them as well. So if you're still considering Christ, you're still unsure Jesus is making an invitation to his table, and he invites everyone to be a part of that. He wants everyone to follow him, to follow him in baptism, to follow him exclusively, to follow him into eternity. I'm going to close part of this section with the end of that video. It's actually two parts, so this is the end of part two of Matthew, and let's see how Matthew concludes here. Watch this. Tim.
1: But the book ends with a surprising twist, the last chapter. The disciples, they discover on Sunday morning that Jesus' tomb is empty. And then all of a sudden people start seeing Jesus alive from the dead. And the book concludes with the risen Jesus giving a final teaching called the Great Commission. Jesus says that he is now the true king of the world and so he sends his disciples out to all nations with the good news that Jesus is Lord and that anyone can join his kingdom by being baptized and by following his teachings and echoing all the way back to his name Emmanuel God with us from chapter 1 Jesus's last words in the book to his disciples are I will be with you it's a promise of Jesus's presence until the day he finally returns. And that's the gospel according to Matthew.
0: So that resource that I talked about, I actually printed a few of these off, not too many of them, but if you would like one like this, and if we run out, we'll get you some more. Um, Whether you want to see the whole book laid out like this, or you want to just get online and watch that, but here's how Matthew concludes it, and I think he would say the same thing to us. It's our great commission, it's the commission that Jesus gave, and Matthew thought it was important enough to put it out there. And he said it this way, all authority, this is Jesus talking, this is why it's important to Matthew, it's Jesus saying this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. all nations." And he says, baptize these people. Bring them to me, right? Baptize them and teach them to do everything that I have commanded you. Teach these stories. Teach what I have taught you. Go out and teach these people. And he does make this promise that he'll be with us until he comes back again. And I see it. Matthew lived this out. Matthew lived this great commission. There was a story. Um, I think Luke tells a story in his gospel that Matthew invited all his friends over for a party one day, all his friends. A bunch of sinners, a bunch of tax collectors, and a bunch of sinners. And then he invited Jesus to the same party so that they could meet Jesus. So let's do it, all right? Throw a party sometime with all your friends, all your heathen friends that you know. Throw a party sometime. Invite me. I'm not Jesus, I know, but I would come and introduce them somehow. And let's get them to what Matthew teaches us, which is to get them to the King, Jesus. If you would, let's stand and prepare our hearts for a time to remember what Jesus did for us. Let's stand together.